Let us adore the ever-living God and render praise unto Him who spread out the heavens and established the earth and whose glory is manifest throughout all the earth. He is a God. He is a God. There is no one else. He is a God. He is a God. He is a God. We sing the song. 
morning and welcome to the second service at Preston Crest. My name is Randy Tucker. I serve as one of the elders here. We're so grateful to have you attending today, whether you're with us here in person or those who are watching us virtually. Thank you for your participation. We'd ask that you would please take this time now, if you haven't already done so, to text check-in to the number. Uh, you can also use the QR code on the cards in the back of the pews and uh, the opportunity to uh, register your attendance with us today and get access to the bulletin and upcoming activities. If you're a first-time visitor with us, uh, we have a special gift for you in the Information Center and after services. If you'd go back and uh, take your card uh, that you filled out back to that and you'll be uh, given a gift for that. So we appreciate your participation. As we come to worship this morning, I'm going to read from Psalms 25 verses 1 through 3. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We're declaring your majesty, Father, glory and power. Father, we acknowledge you as the one and only true God the creator of everything that we see and know, Father, on the, in the heavens and on earth, our champion and defender. Father, thank you for always abundantly meeting our needs. Father, help us to be grateful and to be content. May we always show hospitality and kindness to all. May we always have lives of welcome. Father, help us as we strive to meet the needs of those who are widowed, the fatherless, those who are dealing with loneliness, Father. And we know that we fall short daily in our lives as we strive to live holy and upright. Father, forgive our sins. Teach us to forgive as you have forgiven. May we always live in peace. Help us to shine the light of your Son in our lives. Father, we ask that you protect us from Satan as you help guard our hearts and minds as we seek to glorify you. And we ask this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Randy. Church, let's stand and let's sing this morning. How shall the young Through the day. 
sing one more song as we are entering into our 
communion time this morning, and then Trent Brown's going to come and lead us around the bread and around the cup. Oh, the When my daughter was playing softball through the years, she had many coaches. Some were good, some not so good. But she had this one coach, and he was one of the good ones. And while he trained her athletically to get the most out of her physically for the field and for the game, he also spent time with her on her mind and her mental 
approach to being an athlete. And he recommended her, her to read this book, which is right here. It's called Mind Gym. And Jim is spelled G-Y-M, Mind Gym, An Athlete's Guide to Inner Excellence. And the author, a sports psychologist who works with multiple professional athletes over the years, um, uses this book um, to illustrate how important the mind is and the mental approach to being a successful athlete and being successful in sports. So I thought about that this week, and I thought about how an athlete's path parallels our Christian walk with God. And Paul even uses athletic illustrations in 2 Timothy when he, when he uses phrases like fighting the good fight and finishing the race. And being here this morning, all together, to worship together, to fellowship together. Uh, it's, it's part of our spiritual mind gym that we do at the beginning of the week. It's an it's a ability for us to come together and to focus and to train and to strengthen our Christian minds. And what we're about to do, the communion this morning, is, is our time. It's a quiet, peaceful time where we can focus our mind and thoughts on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. So if you'll join me in prayer. Dearly Father, we thank you for this time to focus our minds on Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. Bless this bread, which is a symbol of Christ's body broken on the cross for us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll continue in prayer with me. Dearly Father, as we continue to focus our minds this morning, we ask for your blessing for this fruit of the vine, which is a symbol of Jesus' blood shed on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.
blood of Jesus. may have come this morning prepared to give an offering, and if you have, uh, you can drop that in the box right there in the middle of the foyer. You can also give online, a couple of different ways to do that, first through the website and then also through our church team's app. You can give however you choose to app, however you choose to give. Thank you for helping support the works of this church, and our prayer is, is that what happens here leaves these walls and uh, goes out into the world. So let's pray. Father God, we are thank you for this time of worship and this time of prayer, this time of study, this time that is so encouraging to us, but I pray that it is a blessing to you, that it is a fragrant aroma. May our worship be sweet. May our worship be pure. Father, thank you for the opportunity to give, the opportunity to serve in this place and outside of these walls. And I pray that what is given today will further your kingdom. That's our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, I'm Phil Jackson, one of the elders here at Preston Crest, and I want to tell you about PC 101. The Preston Crest Church of Christ is a welcoming place for all types of people to hear the message of Jesus Christ. But public teaching about Jesus alone doesn't make us a church. What makes us a church, not just an educational organization, is that we are a community. We have guests and regular attenders, but we also have members. Members are people who have made the intentional decision to belong to our fellowship and know that they're connected connected with God's vision for Preston Crest, connected with God's Son, connected to one another, and connected to God's mission. PC 101 is an informal session that helps those who are considering placing membership by helping them get to know Preston Crest better and to answer any questions they may have about Preston Crest Church of Christ. We look forward to traveling together on our Christian journey and thank you Preston Crest for supporting ministries like PC 101. Yeah, so that is next Sunday. That's going to be happening during our class time. And that is just kind of a, a great uh, beginning. If you're, if you're looking to place membership here, that is a great class time beginning. You're going to learn more about uh, the works here at Preston Crest, what it takes to get connected, get involved, get plugged into this church, and, uh, and begin your walk and your journey alongside of us as we... Join together to build up the body of Christ in this place. A lot of things happening this month of September. Divorce care starting up on the 7th this week. Grief share and together forever also happening next Sunday on, uh, hmm, hello, September 11th. That's when it, 
We're through the summer, folks. It's September already. Good, good goodness. Okay, so next Sunday we've also got the quilt ladies, uh, the prayer quilt ministry. They're having an open house across the street at the Preston Place offices. So you can go over there starting at 1030 through 1230. They'd love for you to come over there and look at how the sausage is made, so to speak, over there uh, in their quilt workroom. So you are invited to do that next week as well. Church, let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church. We're going to sing one more song, and then Jacob Hawk is going to come and share with us this morning. Precious cornerstone, sure foundation, you are faithful. A young man and a young woman went on their very first date, and the young man worked very hard to prepare the perfect evening. He made a reservation at a great restaurant. He requested a table in the back near some live music. He brought her flowers for the date, and as soon as they sat down at the table, the woman started talking 90 miles a minute. I mean, the man could not get any word in on the conversation. She, she talked about her shoes, and then she talked about her hair, and her jewelry, her makeup, her clothes. She talked about her friends, and her greatest dreams, her biggest fears, talking and talking and talking. And toward the end of the meal, she realized what she had done. And she said, I'm so sorry. How rude of me to do all the talking. 
I'm tired of talking about me. Why don't you talk about me for a little while? <laughs> That's not just a ladies thing. Men are guilty of that as well. It's human nature to crave to be the center of attention. We want the lights on us. We want the attention on us. We want to be the headline of the story. And it was a challenge for the audience of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount as well. We have been going through the Sermon on the Mount now for several weeks, and you probably know by now that the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. A lot of people say that Matthew chapter 5, that part of the sermon, is about what we are supposed to believe. Matthew chapter 6, the next part of the sermon, that's about how we are supposed to behave. If Matthew chapter 5 is about what we're supposed to believe, Matthew chapter 6 is about how we are supposed to behave. And Jesus is very clear in this section of the sermon where we will be this morning that when it comes to our spiritual disciplines, when it comes to our giving and to our prayer and even to our fasting, Jesus says these matters must be top secret. They must be private. They are not about you. I want to begin reading this morning, Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, grab one, follow along with us. It's also on the screen here behind me, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus begins his treatise here on spiritual disciplines in this part of his sermon with the Greek word prosecco. Prosecco, that's a word which is a serious word. It means to be aware. The NIV renders it be careful. Your Bible may use a different word, but this is not a casual word. This is the same word that Paul would use when he was talking to the Ephesian elders, Acts chapter 20, and he says, you need to be on your guard, you need to be aware, you need to prosecco, because one day there are going to be savage wolves who come in here and they're going to try to disrupt everything about the gospel, about the church. It's the same word that Paul uses in Ephesians 6 when he talks about spiritual warfare. 
that we are engaged in a battle with Satan. And Paul says, you need to be aware. You need to prosecco. You need to watch out for the devil's schemes. This is not a casual, just look over your shoulder or check in from time to time. Now, Jesus is saying, you need to use a spiritual microscope. You need to analyze your intentions, your spiritual disciplines very carefully. They must be top secret. What does it mean for our spiritual disciplines to be top secret? Well, I'd like to begin with what we know it does not mean. It does not mean that we refuse publicly to do good deeds. In fact, if you remember just one chapter earlier, Matthew chapter 5, at the beginning of his sermon, Jesus says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus has just told his audience in this part of the sermon, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And that needs to be evident to everyone around you. After all, after all what good is salt if it's lost its saltiness? What, what good is light if you hide it under a bowl? If your good deeds are to praise God, put it on full display. The difference between what Jesus describes in Matthew 5 and what he describes here in Matthew chapter 6, I think can be really summarized in just one word. And that's your motive. Why do you want people to see your good deeds? Why do we at Preston Crest want people to see our good deeds? Is it so that people can say, wow, you're really special? Or is it so that people can say, you serve an incredible God and he is doing incredible things through you. Jesus says if that's your motive to bring God glory, display them every single day. If you're doing it to bring you glory, you need to keep that private. At the same time, it's also not refusing to acknowledge the good things that other people have done. I've heard many people in the church say, you know, we don't need to honor people in the church for long marriages or great achievements because we're, we're giving the glory to men. And if you read through the Bible, that doesn't match up because the Bible so many times references people by name who had done some incredible things for the Lord in order to encourage the people receiving the letter or the book or the message to do more. For example, even Jesus does this. Mark chapter 12, when he is talking about this poor widow who gives at the temple, he says, she put more into the treasury than all the others. He calls her out, says she's the biggest giver. Why does Jesus do that if he's against honoring people? I think it's because he wants his apostles to have an example of what true giving looks like. It's not about the amount, it's about the cost. The same is true for Barnabas, Acts chapter 4. Luke is the one writing. 
But Luke tells us that this man named Barnabas, Acts chapter 4, verse 36, sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You know, of all the gospel writers, Luke is the best writer from a human perspective. He has the best grammar. He is the most detailed. Luke very well could have said in this writing of the book of Acts, there was a great man in the church who sold his field and didn't keep the money but gave it to the apostles. Why do you think... Why do you think Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, makes sure to attach that great act to the name of Barnabas? Your guess is as good as mine, but I believe it's so that the early church could have a tangible example from one of their peers who had done something incredible for God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul applauds the Macedonian churches for their giving. He says they gave even beyond their own ability. Acts chapter 17, verse 10. We're very familiar with these individuals, the noble Bereans. Paul's the one who makes the statement. Luke records it. But Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, you need to be more like your brothers in Berea. (laughs) They are noble. They examine the scriptures every day to see if what they've heard is true. That is a good way to live your life. I think about our context on Sunday mornings. I think about our Good Works videos that we play most weeks. There's a lot of work that goes into those. Robert Rigdon up top puts a lot of hours into editing them. People from the church, you participated in these videos. Those videos aren't to bring glory to the people on the screen. Those videos are there to show what God is doing through Press and Crest and to get other people involved in what God is doing in the work of this church and in the mission of this church. It's not saying, wow, those are great people. It's saying, wow, God's doing incredible things through these individuals who love Jesus. I think you see my point. It's good and I would say even biblical to acknowledge the good things that other people are doing. Not to glorify them, but to glorify God for what he's doing through them. So if keeping our spiritual disciplines top secret is not refusing to publicly do good deeds, and it's not refusing to acknowledge other people who have done great things, And what is it? What is Jesus getting at when he says your spiritual disciplines need to be a private matter? I would like to suggest to you this morning that Jesus is talking about our spiritual life with God that is real, that is intimate, that is raw, These are the conversations with God that we have behind closed doors. These are the days with God when we cry out in anger and we weep in repentance. These are the days with God when we say, I don't understand what you're doing, but I trust you. These are the days with God when we say, all we can do today is believe and nothing else. That's why Jesus would say, when you give, don't announce it with trumpets. A lot of people say that's where we get our phrase today, don't toot your own horn. 
you've ever heard that, according to these people, you can thank Jesus for that. Don't announce it with trumpets. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. A very hyperbolic way of saying giving needs to be a private matter. That's why Jesus says when it comes to prayer, don't go stand on the street corners. You know, there's a type of lawyer in the legal community commonly known as an ambulance chaser. These are the lawyers that look for accidents, look for clients, hoping they see the red lights flashing because that might mean business, maybe a new client. The Pharisees, they were not ambulance chasers. The Pharisees, they were audience chasers. They would look out and they would wait to see a big crowd assembled on a corner and they would see a group of people and they'd say, prayer time. Now's the time. I've been waiting for the opportunity. Let them watch me call out to God. Let me show them how spiritual I am. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't, don't stand on the street corner. Don't stand in the synagogue. Go back to your own house, your own room. I love this one. He says, and when you pray... Don't keep babbling on and on and on and on. He says, that's what the pagans do. When the Gentiles would pray, they would think that when they cried out to their pagan gods, that if they used more words, if they were a little bit more eloquent... If they could offer some phrases that were worthy of a hashtag on Twitter, that the results would be so much more beneficial. But I love this. Jesus says it doesn't work that way. Because your Father knows what you need even before you ask. Keep it simple. Just talk. Just cry out to your Father what's going on in your mind and in your heart. One biblical writer summarized this passage in the following way, and I think it profoundly describes what Jesus is saying. He says, the things that we are tempted to show, we must hide, and the things that we are tempted to hide, we must show. If our motivation is to be seen by men and to be honored by men, Jesus says, get off the street corner, get out of the synagogue. Make the prayer shorter. Don't announce your giving with trumpets. But if we are a little bit hesitant to have a good deed that we know is going to glorify God, we need to put that on full display. Don't ever be hesitant to hide that, but show that for God's glory. Keep that flame burning. Have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed how easy it is to do bad things anonymously. That's not hard to do the wrong thing when no one realizes it's you. In fact, i got to be honest with you, last week was a hard week in the, in the Hawk House. And Friday afternoon after having a hard week, I went down to the grocery store and I bought myself a birthday cake. You may be saying, that's no big deal. Well, it's not. Except for my birthday's in June. It wasn't even close to my birthday. But I thought, hey, it's been a hard week. We're going 
We're going to chill out with some sugar and buttercream, make things better, right? That's not hard to do anonymously. But the good things that you don't get credit for, even when you know you've done something pretty special, no one's going to say that a boy. No one's going to say great job. No one's even going to say thank you. That's hard. But that's the life that Jesus calls us to live as his disciples. It's really not difficult to understand what Jesus is advocating for in this passage. But what I think is the more difficult question is not the what. The more difficult question is why. Why does Jesus want it to work this way? Why does Jesus want our spiritual disciplines to be top secret? One answer is obvious, and it's not too hard to come up with. I think God knows this about us. He wants them to be top secret so that we will not take the credit for any good thing that we've done. Because that's human nature. If we do something well, we want everyone to tell us. We think we are so much stronger and smarter and capable than many times we really are. I love this story. You've probably heard this story before. But it's about Muhammad Ali. He was on an airplane leaving LAX, flying across the country to some event. And the flight attendant was doing her very best to go through all the routines that you go through before you take off. She was pointing to the exit doors and she was telling people to lift their tray table, buckle their seatbelt. She said, you know, if we have a loss of altitude, the masks are going to fall, secure yours before you help somebody else. Going through the whole spiel and the whole time Muhammad Ali just sitting there with his arms crossed with a frown on his face, refusing to buckle his seatbelt. And she tried two or three times saying, sir, buckle your seatbelt. He just sat there and finally she walked up to him one last time and said, sir, if you don't buckle your seatbelt, we cannot push back from the gate. And you're making all these other people late. Muhammad Ali sat back and said, Do you not know who I am? I'm Superman. Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the flight attendant said, Superman don't need no airplane. <laughs> buckle your seatbelt so we can leave. We've been reading through the book of Daniel this last week in our church Bible reading plan. If you remember Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar is furious that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not bow down and worship this golden image. But if you read carefully Daniel chapter 3 verse 14, why Nebuchadnezzar is so mad, Nebuchadnezzar says, you won't bow down and worship the image that I have set up. Because that image looks like me. He designed a statue after himself. And he was furious that they would not bow down and give him the honor that was due him. I'm afraid we are so often much more like Muhammad Ali or Nebuchadnezzar than we want to admit or think. And that's where Jesus comes in and he does what he always does so well. He turns everything on its side. He flips it upside down. He gives the paradigm shift 
And Jesus pulls us near and Jesus says, listen to me. Your giving and your prayer life and even your fasting will never be about you. It will always be about me. The psalmist of Psalm 115 would say so beautifully, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. What a beautiful line, what a beautiful prayer that should define everything we do in this good church. Not, not to us. Not to us, O oh Lord, but to your name be the glory. But there is a second reason that I think Jesus tells us to keep our spiritual disciplines top secret. And I must confess to you that this is the most difficult reason of all. Not only to define, but more importantly, the most difficult one to live. You want to know why Jesus says your spiritual disciplines must be a private matter? Because when they are a private matter, we can't fake it. When it's just us and God, we can't fake it. You know, Jesus had a lot of metaphors for the Pharisees in the New Testament. One of my favorite ones was whitewashed tombs. That's pretty creative. Jesus says, you people look beautiful on the outside. On the inside, you're just dead men's bones. On the outside, you look spotless. On the inside, you're a mess. You are play actors. You're hypocrites. You know, if Jesus were alive on earth today in 2022 in human form, Talking to the church, you know what metaphor I think Jesus would use instead of whitewashed tombs? Zoom calls, like this one. How many of you have taken a Zoom call just like this? Shoulders up, you look great. Shoulders down, shorts, or maybe even worse. You want to look like you're working. You want to look like you're taking it seriously. But you're not. As soon as you close that laptop or get away from your computer, tie off, jacket off, t-shirt back on. Because all they see is the shoulders up. Wouldn't it be great if the only thing that God saw about us was shoulders up? But we know that God looks deep into our heart. God looks deep into our soul. God sees the things that we don't want anyone else to see. God knows the things that we don't want anyone else to know. It's back to school time. I'm married to an educator, a principal. We have several teachers, administrators, obviously a lot of students. I was thinking this week about the different testing formats in school. You know, you got three options mainly. You got true, false, multiple choice, fill in the blank, or open-ended essay. You love to see the true, false option because even if you didn't study at all, you got a 50% chance of getting it right. Just pick one. And the odds are pretty high that you can pass a test you didn't study for just by picking one of two options. Multiple choice, not as good as true, false, but 
You can still, through process of elimination, figure out which answers are good, which ones aren't as good. And even without the process of elimination, you can just pick one, and you've got a 25% chance of getting it right. But everyone fears the open-ended question format. Because when it comes to open-ended, when it comes to you and a pencil and a sheet of paper, you either know the material or you don't. You've either grasped it or you haven't. You can't fake it. It is completely on you. And friends, when it comes to our spiritual disciplines with Jesus, it's not true-false. It's not multiple choice. It's an open-ended essay question. You either can or you can't. You either will or you won't. And that's why he wants it to be private because when it's private, you can't fake it. You know, it's really not that hard to walk up here behind this platform and to fake a healthy prayer life with hundreds of people listening to you pray. When you've been told on Tuesday or Wednesday by John Scott that we're going to need you Sunday morning. It's really not that hard to make a generous donation when you understand that because of your donation, you're going to get your name on a building. Because of your donation, someone's going to create a scholarship or a foundation in your honor or even a small gift. You know that come April, tax time, you're going to write that off. That's not that hard. It's not that hard to be a sacrificial husband or a supportive wife when everyone's watching. Oh, but it's really hard to be the spouse that God wants you to be behind closed doors when no one hears the conversations and stress is at an all-time high. And it's really hard to live the life that God has called us to live, a life of sacrifice, a life of constant communion with God, a life of generosity, when no one is going to say a word to you about it. But only God knows what's been in your heart. When I was an undergraduate student at Harding, studying to be a preacher, preaching major in the College of Bible and Religion, I got a phone call one afternoon my sophomore year from the dean of the College of Bible. He said, I need you to come down to my office after you get out of your 11 o'clock class. Whenever you get a phone call from the dean saying, I need you to come to my office, it makes you a little anxious. So I sat through my 11 o'clock class wondering the whole time, what in the world could this be about, you know? And I get out of class and I walk down the steps of the 
Jim Bill McIntyre Bible building and turn right and go into the office of the dean, sit down in one of his chairs. He says, relax. This isn't going to be a bad conversation. This is going to be a good conversation to which I thought to myself, you could have told me that at 11 o'clock, you know. That would have been very helpful. But he said, listen, he said, uh, the College of Bible and Religion last week received a substantial amount of scholarship money from a couple in Mississippi. And the only thing that this couple has said about their scholarship money is that it must go to those preparing to enter into pulpit ministry within churches of Christ. And so he said, you and a few of your classmates are going to be the benefactors of this great scholarship. I was dumbfounded, floored, beyond belief. It was substantial scholarship money. And I left his office, and after a couple of days had passed, I went back down to his office after that same 11 o'clock class, walked into his office, knocked on the door, said, can I see you for a minute? He said, sure, sit down in my chair. I sat down, I said, listen, I said, I, I, I am so humbled and grateful for this gift. The least I can do is send this family a thank you note. Can I please get their address? He said, no, you can't. I said, well, I just want to write them a thank you note. I was taught by my parents to be appreciative. I just want to send them a thank you note. He said, no. He said, I think that's great you want to send them a thank you note. The reason you can't is because I don't even have their address. In fact, I don't even know their name. They wanted to remain anonymous. And anonymous they will always be. The only thing they said other than someone going into pulpit ministry in churches of Christ, the only other requirement is that one day, when you're able, that you will support someone else who wants to serve the kingdom in full-time ministry. The name of that scholarship was the, Lit, the Luke, not Lick, the Luke 638 scholarship. You probably remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It's actually his rendition of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. But Jesus says in Luke 6, 38, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It takes a really special person or a really special family, whoever it was, to give over half a million dollars without ever wanting their name mentioned. It also takes a special church that will spend hours behind closed doors in fervent prayer, praying for each family, even though those families may never know you're praying for them. It takes a special church 
who in small amounts from time to time will anonymously tell brothers and sisters, we know you're going through a storm. We know expenses are high. We want to help. But we don't want you to know where it came from. We just want you to know that we love you. That we're with you. That we're family. That takes special people. And Jesus knew that. And that's why Jesus said, that takes my people. That's the caliber of my church. That's the caliber of my disciples. They are people who are always ready to do the right thing. Even when no one else knows that they're doing it. And this morning, you have the opportunity to do the right thing. And you may want to come and ask for prayers. You may want to give your life to Jesus in the waters of baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit. You may need to talk with someone to receive some encouragement. Whatever your need is this morning, we want you to know God loves you. We love you. We're a family. We're in this together. And Jesus has called us to be top secret agents of his. And if we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing. As the mountains surround
Jacob, thank you for your message uh, out of Matthew 5. We really appreciate the insights you shared today. And we look forward to hearing your final message tonight out of the uh, book of Ephesians. Uh, if you'll join us tonight for this final message as Just Follow the Instructions, as that message is titled. If you would read with me, please, our take-home scripture today from Psalm 115.1. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. And the church said, Amen.